are listening to a podcast from The National. On June 6th, the day after the UAE, Saudi Arabia, Bahrain and Egypt cut relations with Qatar in what proved to be the GCC's biggest diplomatic crisis, little seemed to change in Doha. Daily life continued as normal and it was mostly business as usual, with the exception of one thing, supermarkets. Overnight, markets in Doha ran out of food staples, as a result of the Saudi-Qatari land border being closed. 60% of Qatar's food was transported through that crossing. To support its population, the small but wealthy Gulf country had to fly in food via Turkey and Iran at almost 10 times the cost. This scenario might be extreme, but Qatar's food problem is one every Gulf country faces, and one that will increasingly threaten the region's vitality over time. The Qatar crisis has shown us many things, that politics in the region can be fickle and the stability of even the most consistent of blocs can fall apart. But perhaps the lesson that hit us the most, that could be understood by all, even those who don't care about politics, is that countries of the Arabian desert are dangerously food insecure. This is Beyond the Headlines. I am Nasr al-Wesmi. And this week, Abu Dhabi hosted the Global Forum for Innovations in Agriculture, So today, we're focusing on one core question. How do we feed a growing population in an environment that is historically characterized as inhospitable? All six Arabian Gulf countries import between 80 and 97% of their food. Due to water scarcity and poor soil, it typically costs less to import food than to grow it here. According to the Ministry of Climate Change and Environment in the UAE, the demand for food will increase by 300% in the next decade, putting a huge strain on our economies. And as the role of Qatar shows, no import is guaranteed. So most of the ministers are calling for a green revolution to develop technologies to help grow food locally and to feed a growing population. Dr. Esmahan El-Wafi joins us, the Director General of the International Center for Biosaline Agriculture. The ICBA looks to work out agricultural strategies to cope with climate change and improve social and economic development. Dr. Esmahan, what is currently being done to grow food in an environment that people think is difficult to farm? So I think there's a lot of things that are done to grow food in, in areas that we would call harsh or difficult to, to produce. Starting from the soil, there is a series of technologies to to um, to make the soil more rich, to to make sure that the soil has organic material that has all the mineral that is needed for the crop. There's a lot of technologies based on irrigation, irrigation technologies that will allow us to add water wherever it's needed in the crop, be it the whole cycle of the crop or what we call supplementary irrigation in certain period of the crop. Uh, but I think uh, uh, there is still more to be done because uh, in the irrigation, we have moved from sprinklers to drops to, to uh, uh, the drip, drip irrigation. We moved to subsurface irrigation. But still, there are other t- technologies that are coming in the market and are not yet adopted at large, but could make a huge difference in terms of conception of water. And the other area that we have to mention is the genetic improvement of crops, whereby we started with crops that are working mostly in arable land, moving to crops that are genetically improved to, to require less water. So in a sum, 
there's a lot of technologies. There is uh, different technologies also on on protected agriculture or what we call um, uh, controlled environment agriculture. We got the hydroponic system where we mixed agriculture with with uh, aquaculture. So I think there is series of technologies. It's about really being at a scale of economy, and that's not yet yet done. Still, we have the majority of the crops that are in arable land. Uh, and in normal basic agriculture system, we have only a portion that are using those technologies that we are talking about. And they see in the future that's going to be the big flip, is that we're going to have more agriculture using those innovation versus agriculture in, norm, in normal open field. Some countries in the region are importing 80, 90 percent of its food. How, how does this pose a risk? What makes, what, what makes this region unique and what are the biggest challenges facing it? It is, it is risky because whenever there is a fluctuation in the international market, you will be the first people to be affected by that fluctuation. Remember the price hikes in 2008. Uh, for example, Kuwait had a deal with Kazakhstan for a big amount of wheat for their needs. So Kazakhstan, they, ha- they have the right because they go with, with the demand and supply. So they have the right to, to review their deal and to give it to the highest paid dealer on the other side that is buying the, the wheat. So so the risk is that you cannot control the market. And the market is a free market. So if, if God forbid there is any disaster, the country that is exporting has the right to keep this, their production for their own population. If the prices go high, you have either to pay those prices or you won't have access to your, to your crops. Right. So the, the, the risk is there. So that's where there is certain quantities that could be produced in a country, be it here or be it the other neighboring countries. And there are certain crops that are more um, uh, more adaptable and more useful for you to, to use it here. Quinoa was one of them. So if we talk about cereals, almost none of cereals could be produced here, nor wheat, nor rice and, and maize. But quinoa could be eventually one of the produce areas that could be used here. Barley could be eventually be produced here. So, so that's where strategically the country has to, to get uh, their, their list of crops that they can produce, how much they can produce, right. and then they know exactly what's the gap and do their international cooperation and international trade hmm. uh, in, in that sense. Uh, the region is also defined by... Uh a, a growing trend in population. Uh, it has a huge uh, population boom going on. Also, climate change is affecting, obviously, the entire uh, globe. But how does that affect this region specifically when it comes to agriculture? Does does it pose more challenges? Will we be facing uh, a, a less conducive environment for growing food? What is known from the climate change scenarios for the region is that the region is going to be hotter. So what is known for a fact is that there will be at least two degrees more. So when you think about your crops that most of the time in the open field, we have to collect or we have to harvest around in May. We can't go beyond May. So that's reducing you, adding two more degrees as a challenge for those crops. So most crops, when you add two degrees, they might not produce. So for maize, for Africa, for example, and that the scenario of plus two degrees, maize cannot flower. So the whole production of maize is jeopardized in Africa. 
in here, already there is only few crops that can be produced under recent, uh, under the temperature right now. So if we add two degrees, many of them might not be surviving at all. So that's where I think research is needed, because if we know and we have projections and we know what's the sensitive time that the crop is sensitive to the temperature, for example, what's the maximum it can take, mm. it's very important to breed. And that's the beauty of crops, is that you can breed right. because it's plants. You can do as many crosses as you want, thousands and thousands of crosses. And there is a multiple genes that could be combined in a crop to make it robust to plus two degrees, for example, in, in the region. This is clearly a serious enough issue that the UAE has appointed its own ministry, uh, Minister of Food Security. How will this help the country address its own issues? And can that information, that the research you talked about, be transferred to the rest of the region, which is already pretty food insecure? So I think the UAE take really a very strong stand by developing, by putting in place the whole Ministry of Security. It's a really strong signal that the government is very aware, very much aware of the situation and places a uh, uh, lot of importance on it. And I think this ministry going to be crucial for securing food security in the UAE. So, um, for example, this, this uh, ministry will develop a strategy and a path forward for the UAE to make sure that the people in the UAE are secured at any time, that they have access to the food that is affordable, that is uh, diversified, that is nutritious. So they're going to put a strategy in place to make sure that UAE has a plan a plan to put in place when we are in normal circumstances to provide the population with what is needed, and also a plan if anything happens or if, if there is any 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 special circumstances. Uh, this ministry as well, what's very important is, in my mind, anything planned is good. So when you are not planning your future, you got a lot of surprises, and most of them will be bad surprises because you are not ready for it. And even if you have a good surprise, you will miss the opportunity because you are not planning for it. So I think by planning for security in the UAE and understanding perfectly the market, understanding the different input in a food security uh, for the population that you have and the projected population in the future, it's already a winning point. So for the UAE, for example, they have tried to produce, but it wasn't in the right way my view. So there was a little bit of, um, how would I call it, uh, maybe abuse of nature or abuse of water mostly. So when the UAE started agriculture, it was very much heavy on irrigation, and most of that irrigation was from the groundwater. And the groundwater wasn't recharged at the same level as we would withdraw it from it, to the point that the UAE right now could continue that path, will completely exhaust their groundwater in about 60 years. So I think that ministry would get into those details to make sure that that, that if we are producing in the country, it's going to be produced in a way that is respectable of the environment and that is respectable of the resources, mostly those resources that are not renewable. To go back to your first point, the greenhouse uh, allowed co colder environments in Europe to uh, plant, to grow food, 
outside of just spring, summer season, in the, in the colder seasons. Are we working towards our own uh, greenhouse, maybe a different kind of scientific discovery that would allow uh, agriculture plants to survive the intense heat that we experience in the region? Is there anything like that that's, that's out there in your research or that maybe you can uh, tell us about? There is a lot of attempts in all of the GCC countries to find the right design and the right model. However, all of them are working mostly with companies from Holland and Germany, which have experience in cold weather. So I, I haven't seen any design that really make a whole difference, except maybe there is a Korean Korean design that uh, that is a little bit different. Is that going in the right path? What we did as ICBA, we are not really experts in greenhouse designs, but what we did, we brought in what we call a net house. And the net house is a system that exists in many parts of the world, but mostly in, in South Spain, also in Morocco, in middle of Morocco and South Morocco. And that net house, what it allows here in the UAE, we are producing nine, nine months a year. You can produce during the, the hot summer, but you produce nine months but you reduce your water and your energy consumption. Energy by 95% in versus the normal greenhouses that the farmers have right now, and water by about 75 to 80%. So that system, we brought it in, we tried it, it's working very well, and that's the, the technology that we are passing on to the farmers in the UAE. However, I would make that there is a, a please here to do more research on the design per se. Because if we are able to produce at minus 20 in the northern Canada or anywhere in Europe, we should be able also to produce in normal temperature plus 30 or so. We'll go further beyond the headlines in just a moment. But first, let me tell you about The National's other podcasts. Business Extra goes deeper into the movers and shakers that make the Middle East such an important financial hub in the world. An extra time from our esteemed sports desk is the best place to chat about the English Premier League and more. Subscribe to both shows as well as this one on Apple Podcasts or find us as always at thenational.ae. Science is keen developing the methods and capacity to grow food locally. The Arabian Gulf with its arid environment and desert soil is not ideal, but neither is cold northern hemisphere environments. The greenhouse has gone through centuries of development to get to the point where growing food and negative 20 degrees Celsius was possible. To talk about some of the challenges and key scientific breakthroughs, I'm joined by Abdelrahman Rahman a researcher at the Public Authority of Agriculture in Kuwait, whose researcher at Wageningen University addressed organic farming. Thanks for joining us. What is the biggest challenge to growing food in the region? In the Arab region, the biggest issue is water scarcity. As most people know, rain is very, very... Um, well, it doesn't happen as often as you'd like compared to other European or American countries, and as well as the amount of salt. Um, and these two issues are, are a big a problem, especially in uh, the Emirates and Kuwait and Saudi Arabia, because we have to figure out how we can balance the amount of water we have with the amount of production we have. What, what could be done to help food production in the region? What can we do? Uh, what can you do as a scientist, as a researcher? Uh, I mean, what are, what are some of the methods we can employ? Well, regarding water scarcity, there are many strategies now that uh, are trying to help farmers and other methods of production to reduce the water usage and to reduce the loss of water because not only 
Uh, are we using water, for example, for cooling in the summer months? Uh, we need to keep it for, for example, livestock and um, other resources. So uh, different ways have been done, for example, breeding new plants that have drought tolerant capabilities, um, finding new plants that can withstand high temperatures. Um, so there's, there's different ways of trying to find a solution. But the main thing is there's no one main solution because especially nowadays, a lot more technologies is being involved. Mm. A lot of the technology that has been developed up to this point was developed for, for colder environments, right? So, so we didn't get technology that is made ad to address hot, arid, dry environments. What are some of the things that have been developed, I mean, in terms of soil, uh, hydroponics? I mean, what, what are some of the things that you uh, would suggest if someone was trying to do uh, to, to farm on a mass scale? So now uh, there is the GFIA, which is a big expo that's happening today and tomorrow. And a lot of the focus is on such things as the hydroponic systems and having closed environments. So instead of growing out, out in the field or in uh, greenhouses, many people are using containers, which they fill with um, different technology, for example, like you said, sensors, they can sense the amount of water, they can sense a lot of different uh, attributes, which can help reduce a lot of the inputs, but uh, as well provide a high amount of production. And nowadays, a lot of people are looking into lights, as you can see with Philips, they're developing a lot of different LEDs to help plant production uh, in closed environments. And I think uh, with this movement, a lot of people are going to be seeing more and more plants in their household because with this new technology, you don't need to put too much water uh, in the farm industry, whereas uh, well, an open field, for example, compared to a closed system, which the hydroponic system is that the water is within the system and you can use, for example, a dehumidifier or other uh, machines to help collect water inside the environment and as well as outside. There's, I mean, this this goes back to a very basic uh, uh, desire for humans. There's nothing better than fresh produce, and in in the West uh, in European countries, there's been a huge trend of growing your own food at home. Even if you live in an urban environment, you can go up to your ceiling, uh, the rooftop, sorry, and plant some herbs, for example. Do you think we'll get to the point with the technologies we're seeing developed and in the future where that'll happen here in this region? Uh, yes, I, I believe that is going to happen. I was recently talking to uh, a colleague who is working here and is actually focusing on having households, having different public areas be a source of food, whereas they would place containers or um, a lot of, uh, for example, LG and other companies are seeing how they, they, they can integrate food production within uh, the household. So you'll have a fridge where you're, you have your milk, your eggs, and then underneath you'll have a small hydroponic system where you uh, can grow all types of leafy green. And the best part is that it is fully automated. Uh, with all these new AI systems and artificial intelligence, it's, it's actually making growing a lot easier. Um, I know you've shown me in the past uh, some models that you've come up with in terms of how to grow in cooler environments. I mean, some of the simple tricks is that if you just dig a meter into the ground, it's cooler by X amount of degrees. Uh, do you see any, 
any out there in innovations that you might be interested in uh, or might see some potential in that you could tell us about? One really interesting um, research that's being done is growing food under the water. And I feel that is something that can be done very successfully, mm. as they have shown. And the best part about it is that um, you don't have this land, especially in the arid region or Kuwait, we don't have that much land. However, with the sea, we can get into different depths and that could be uh, another food uh, potential mm. that we haven't really tapped into. Mm -hmm. And then also Western diets have kind of uh, imposed on us growing certain grains or wanting rice, for example. But are there other plants that we could grow that maybe are more suitable for the environment here? Uh, yeah, definitely. So uh, a big push by many researchers is using quinoa because of its of its high protein and that it also is drought tolerant in some aspects. And the researchers um, are also trying to have certain quinoa that can, um, for example, withstand water that has high salinity. Mm. So we can potentially use these types of seeds to grow by the sea, for example. Mm. So instead of focusing on water that is uh, treated or it's cleaned, uh, we can use salt water, but we can just dilute it a little bit and that can actually be very helpful, especially when we don't have that much water. I'd like to thank my guests, Dr. Esmahan Al-Wafi and Abdurrahman Al-Frih for joining the show. I'd also like to thank my producer, Kevin Jeffers. You can find this and all the other national podcasts such as Extra Time and Business Extra on Apple Podcasts or your favorite app. I've been your host, Nasr al-Wesmi. Thank you for listening and goodbye.